Welcome to the Systematic Understanding of Everything, an Exalted podcast. This show is a collaborative effort between the members of the Story Told, Bonus Experience, and Mage the Podcast. We're going to break down the basics of Exalted from its rules to its setting. I'm Monica, 3rd Edition Supplement Developer and Lead Mechanical Developer for Exalted Essence. I'm Chaz, Exalted Writer and Fan. I'm Terry, producer for the show, and I look forward to repeatedly going, Man, this is way better than the way the World of Darkness does it. And this is Episode 14, The Myriad Laws of Creation. Last time we visited the Rules of Exalted, we did an example of character creation to kind of give a a whole overview. This episode, we're going to get into the basics. What is the core conflict resolution mechanic in Exalted? So it's a storyteller game, which if you are not familiar with any of the other ones, forms a dice pool using a set of stats called attributes and a set of stats called abilities. Add the value of one to the value of the other, that makes a dice pool. Each dot you have in it or point you have in it adds one die. You roll this pool, which in Exalted can get pretty big, and you're looking for successes. And every success is the number on the die that shows seven or higher. Anytime you see a 10, those count as two. And you are looking for a number of successes equal to the difficulty rating, which is the DC. That's the term, the D&D term. It's basically the number of successes required to succeed or fail. The same thing as DC in the world's most commercialized role-playing game. I didn't want to say most popular. (laughs) (laughs) It's only most popular by the number of supplements, the number of players, the amount of revenue, celebrity understanding, cultural infiltration to the zeitgeist, number of languages interpreted into. Yeah, you're right. Terry, nobody asked you. (laughs) So so popular only by the dictionary definition. (laughs) Definition. (laughs) Only by every conceivable metric. The difficulty scale uh, ranges from one to five in the core book, and this is where I'd recommend you start to, to step away from the rules as written, because a one to five difficulty scale is really just not going to challenge most of the exalted. From experience, uh, I've seen that basic difficulty should probably start at about three and go up from there, with seven representing a significant challenge even to a skilled character and 10 representing impossible feats. This is what we codified in Exalted Essence, actually, that gives you very specific direction that anything worth rolling for starts at difficulty three. As someone who doesn't have any table experience, I have a new character, I have a high attribute, I have a high ability that's eight dice, difficulty seven, so a little bit less than a third of the time or a little bit more than a third of the time that's going to succeed. So to me, that's a little bit shy of three successes. So as a new person, besides just luck of the dice, why is a difficulty of five to seven reasonable? What things with high likelihood will a player in the system have at their disposal to to hit those upper reaches? So we're going to get into a few of those in just a moment. One, if you think back to our previous episodes, we talk about excellencies where With a a dice pool of eight, you probably also have an excellency in that area. So as a solar, you could potentially boost that to a 16 dice pool. So that's part of it. Additionally, you have options for spending willpower to get an automatic success, performing a stunt to get an automatic success, and we'll get into those systems uh, very shortly. Awesome. So are there critical successes or failures, or is it just a pass-fail kind of thing? Successes beyond the difficulty are threshold successes, uh, which are used in a bunch of the game subsystems. So if the difficulty is five and you roll seven successes, you've gained two threshold successes. 
Personally, I also use threshold successes to gauge how epically uh, a character succeeds at something, especially for roles like knowledge or information gathering, where additional threshold successes let me hand out extra clues as a storyteller. Does the system have critical successes or failures? So if a roll generates no successes at all, and at least one of the dice shows a one, that's a botch and something goes horribly wrong. Uh, this almost never happens like the difficulty scale. It's really a hold over from earlier iterations of the storyteller system. It's one, one that can be fun. So what we've done in our home game is introduce a house rule where if the number of ones exceeds the number of successes on the roll, a, a partial botch occurs where something goes wrong despite the success without overriding it. So the interesting thing about when you adjust difficulty to three is that then you start seeing characters actually fail rolls as opposed to just blitz through everything wildly successfully all the time. And while like Exalted isn't necessarily a game that sort of predicates itself on failure, the fact that sometimes characters can screw up is pretty interesting. And the same with this, like it succeeds, but maybe not the way you wanted it to of Chaz's house rule. When setting difficulties, in Exalted, are these all static values or are there modifiers? What determines to a storyteller what the, the difficulty uh, should be or how it should deviate from some sort of default difficulty three, like Monica said? So most of the time, that's just part of the difficulty scale. If conditions were to make something harder, like climbing up a rope in the pouring rain, you might say, hey, I'm going to add a point of difficulty to that in the mental math that I'm using to calculate how hard this should be. However, when difficulty is, is a fixed number, such as rolling against another character's defense, or for opposed actions, you can use dice penalties instead, which can range from negative uh, one to negative five. Essence also has a whole section in it about how to determine how hard something should be based on the ability you're using, as well as a handy section that's like bonuses and penalties. How do you use them? How do you present two characters or entities that are actively opposing each other, like the push and pull of an argument or, or a literal tug of war? I mean, the, an argument we have, there's like a whole social system for that. And I think that's definitely going to be its own episode. But like when two characters are competing in some way, that's an opposed action. Uh, lots of games have this sort of thing. Both of them roll and the higher number of success wins. The, the how much you win by is covered by the threshold successes over the amount of successes the other person rolled. So if I rolled five and Terry rolls three, I am beating you by two threshold successes. This is also what happens for clash attacks in combat. And I'm sure we're gonna do a combat ep episode because that's gonna be a whole lot to go through. <laughs> and other direct competitions, like that's how we could do like a, a foot race. Yeah, a foot race, a tug of war. I think you could could do it in a in an argument as well if you had two sides arguing to convince the same person, which could could get interesting. All of these roles seem to be I try to do a thing. How does the game represent things that will take a, an extended period of time? Maybe working on artistic work or just moving a lot of heavy bricks or something like that. There are rules for extended action. Uh, whenever how much time something takes is important, or for projects like crafting or, or works of sorcery where how long it takes uh, is built into the system. And in these cases, you, you roll multiple times 
gathering threshold successes for some bigger target number. So you may be looking for 10 threshold successes over a series of rolls. Each roll represents unit of time for however long that should take. And once you achieve the threshold successes required, you complete the project. Again, this is pretty similar to a lot of other storyteller and storytelling type systems. Do you want to give some examples, Monica? Sure. I mean, like Terry actually gave some pretty good examples up front, like uh, moving a whole load of heavy things or crafting your magnum opus, like like writing a posing a piece or writing a book or whatever, assuming that's something that's important to your your character in character. But it could also apply to things like I found this ancient first age manuscript that I'm going to translate it into common tongue of river speak for everyone to have. Or you can also use extended actions to represent things that are actually happening quickly, but have a hard end period. Like I have to disarm this trap in this ancient tomb before the ceiling caves in and kills all of us. <laughs> or I have to pick the lock on my manacles before the dragon-blooded jailer comes back and drags me off to one of the two Arkham Asylums that's in this setting. <laughs> yep. It is, it is both for extended things that take a long time and situations where there is distinct time pressure. How do the two interact? Sorry if this is too in the weeds, but is it something for an extended action where something would be difficulty three and require 10 threshold successes where, say, each time you roll the first three successes go away? Or is it a case where you're just trying to accumulate a raw number of successes over some number of rolls? Yes, it, it works exactly that way. So for a, a crafting project or a working of sorcery, you, you may set the difficulty at, say, difficulty three and then need a total of 10 successes to complete the sorceress working. And you're looking for threshold successes plus one for a basic success to make progress. And we'll, we'll talk about those subsystems in greater detail in a, in a future episode. So we have laid down what is the core conflict resolution mechanism. You want to do something that is deemed non-trivial by the storyteller, or at least where failure would be interesting or where exceptional success would be interesting. A trait plus trait, in this case, probably attribute plus ability is declared, a difficulty and maybe a number of threshold successes to go from a basic victory to whatever level of success a character wants. Uh, besides attribute and ability, are there any other things that will generally add to that die pool? Do backgrounds ever add to it? There are a couple of merits that add bonuses to very specific roles. So for example, quick reflexes adds to the wits plus awareness role for initiative, or iron stomach adds to the stamina plus resistance role for eating things you probably oughtn't have. The reason I am curious is one of the few things that I think the X-20 line for Old World of Darkness got right is they dropped the term attribute plus ability and replaced it with trait plus trait to represent that panoply. Sometimes you do roll like ability plus essence or, yeah. or even attribute plus essence. And so, so trait plus trait certainly would work for Exalted. I think it's, it's more corner case than in the X-20 lines. Those are usually special cases, and it's usually the result of something having a weird power, usually a charm, something like that. Like, So you have talked throughout this series about stunting. I don't know if that's actually a verb. It is. It is. What is a stunt, and how does it influence mechanically how the game is played? 
Okay, yeah, stunts are probably my favorite thing about Exalted. It's the thing I talk about whenever it comes up. It's pretty much the system that I think makes Exalted shine besides also buckets of dice. The basic idea of a stunt is that if you describe what you're doing in a cool way, rather than make it harder, it makes it easier and you get extra dice and automatic successes so you can be more awesome. In most other games, I'm gonna, yeah, D&D, whatever. Um, if you're like, I, you know, launch myself off this crate and I kickflip off the wall to stab the orc in the back of the neck, the DM is going to be like, okay, so that makes it harder. You're going to have to pass an athletics check before you can even make the attack roll. And if you fall, you're going to land on your face and look like a tool. In Exalted, you do that and your GM is like, yes, have some dice about it. So stunts are graded and this is meant to encourage people to come up with cooler stunts. So based on how awesome the description is, you get more and more benefits. So a one point stunt grants two dice and this should be rewarded to really anything more than I hit it with my sword so that players should almost always be able to get a, a one point stunt for every action just by adding a little descriptive flair to what, they're, uh, what they say they're doing. Yeah, uh, two point stunts um, grant two dice and an automatic success, and they restore a point of willpower. These descriptions are usually really cool or memorable. In previous editions, there was also guidance that a two point stunt usually involved the scenery somehow, and I've always found that to be a really good uh, metric for what makes a good two die stunt. The smell of the sea salt in the air or kicking up dust as you charge forward or whatever, Turn, like framing the scene a little bit more. I think that's one of the things that elevates a stunt from a little bit more than I hit it with my sword to something that everybody can kind of visualize and immerse everyone into the action a little bit more. Three-point stunts, uh, and this is the highest level, continue to grant two dice. Uh, they grant two automatic successes and restore two points of willpower, which lets you see exceed your normal willpower rating. My old group in the previous editions had a, had a three-die stunt club. Nice. <laughs> they sound like a cover band for Two Door Cinema Club or Bombay Bicycle Club, but that's just me. It's, like the nerd it's just uh, it's just me with a guitar singing what you know. So, what is the definition of a three point stunt? That is a great question. Um, the book suggests that this should be rare and memorable and make everyone at the table say "Wow," which is a little bit hard to judge on the moment. It's kind of a know it when you see it situation. Hearing about the stunt system, it sounds kind of rad, but it seems like there'd be some obvious downsides to it, like players being like, I am going to invoke my 17 forefathers who I have listed on a series of sticky notes, which I have written in Old Realm. Everyone, please look at slide number three. Are there downsides to a stunting system? So the book does say that, that you, you should make sure that stunts are interesting and not boring. So that, that kind of avoids that first problem. Are there like nega stunts to be like, your description was so lame, I get some dice. <laughs> you no. lose one No, there power. are not. Okay. <laughs> um, however, being forced to judge your friends at the table on the spot kind of sucks because it's totally subjective and up to the storyteller about whether something counts as a stunt or not. And that can be hard. It also means that, like, there's pressure to feel on at all times. From experience with playing the game an awful lot, it makes people feel like they need to, like, really step up their game. And especially if you, like, scoring a three-point stunt, this, like, silly prestigious thing where, like, there's a club of people who got them. Maybe not the greatest idea past Monica. Um <laughs> I had friends who would feel so pressured to like say something cool that they'd have to be like, can I have a minute to write it down? 
And of course, I gave him a minute to write it down. But like, but consider the time that that adds to your game. This is actually one of the changes that Essence makes that I think we've definitely been public about is that uh, all stunts are two point stunts at this point. You describe your action in any cool manner and you get two dice, which you can keep for yourself and add immediately to your roll um, or cash in for a couple other cool, weird benefits. Or you can bank them and then give them to other people, which you can do after you see the result of their roll. When I was first getting in on the Essence team and heard about that change on stunts, I was like, mm, I'm just going to go implement this right now. <laughs> um, and so I brought it brought it as a, a house rule to the Fall of Giara game. You've mentioned before that uh, willpower can get successes. Uh, what does willpower do in Exalted? It's pretty simple. You can spend a point of willpower to add an automatic success to a single roll, which you spend before the roll and it guarantees you'll get at least one success for it. You can also increase a static value, such as your defense or your resolve, which is your social defense, by one. But you can only spend one willpower point per opposing role, and you must do so before your opponent's player rolls. Yeah, so willpower is always spent before the roll, so it's not like, oh, I'm so close, let me spend a point of willpower to get over the edge. It is a spend ahead of time in hopes of success. Willpower can then also be used to reject certain kinds of social influence, more on this in the future. And then some charms, spells, and other abilities cost willpower to use. So how do you get willpower back? Getting a good night's sleep restores a point of willpower. And then, as we mentioned in stunts earlier, two and three point stunts grant one and two points of willpower, respectively. If you undergo significant hardship or sacrifice um, to uphold or defend a major or defining intimacy, you gain a point of willpower, and achieving major character uh, or story goals can grant from one to three points of willpower. And kind of notably, three-point stunts I and mean, the intimacy or story awards can let characters exceed their normal willpower maximum. So if you're a regular starting character and you didn't buy any extra willpower, so you have a maximum of five, and you've spent one and then do a three-point stunt and gain two willpower, you can go to six. It lets you, lets you break that limit. Nice. Is it strictly a gas tank, or is it one of those things where the number, uh, the amount of temporary willpower you have is important in interfacing with the systems? I think it's strictly a gas tank, and I very rarely see it run dry. My players are really reluctant to spend willpower, and I think that is part of their legacy coming out of the other storyteller systems, where willpower is a lot harder to recover. Being out of willpower in previous editions also kind of sucked. You can no longer use it as a defense against a whole lot of a whole host of things when you run out of it. So like you didn't really want to run, run out of willpower not because having your tank being empty meant that you were penalized, but because you could no longer front a defense against all kinds of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I know in a lot of other storyteller games, willpower also represents kind of a resistance stat that you would use that to resist mental coercion or to not give in to a vice or something like that. Does it play a similar role in Exalted or has it been replaced by something else? Partially. The kind of social defense stat uh, is based on integrity to calculate your resolve, which would be to resist temptations. However, as mentioned earlier, one of the functions of willpower is to spend a point of willpower to resist a successful social action made against your character. So it, it's kind of a backup reserve after the defense. So we've covered kind of the core conflict resolution. Uh, what key things does this 
not cover? The big two outside of the core system are social interactions and combat that kind of cover the the two main theaters of action for Exalted. And then like lots of other abilities have have like mini game type subsystems that all interact with these core systems in some way. So we've talked about a bunch of systems. Do we want to give it a try? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do that. I am playing Shrouded Mirror Oracle, the Twilight cast heretical monk who is trying to bring down the Immaculate Order with her plucky lunar friend with a indeterminate relationship status and an artifact that we haven't quite defined yet. We're just very good friends. <laughs> Confirmed bachelor. Just gals being pals. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that, that should be what it is. Does your character go by Mirror, Oracle, SMO? Smo. <laughs> I think Shroud was what we agreed on. Shroud? Okay. She's your character. You get to decide what the short version of her name is. <laughs> Shmo. <laughs> Shmo. <laughs> and who's your character, Monica? All right. My character is a coral snake shape full moon named Iria the Banded Terror. I am from the Blessed Isle. My family was involved like merchants or farmers or some people of, of some means but not necessarily status from the area who had been providing assistance to the people who are outcast and left in the wastes exalted when she performed an act of defiance against one of the dynasts who is not dead and then you know tattooed and deputized by the silver pact to come back here and start destroying the realm from within by fomenting a rebellion right under their noses in the Tarpound Wastes, two of you are traveling back to one of the refuge towns that persists at the edge of the wastes where the mountains rise out of the desert. The town is called Prismatic Cascade for the waterfall that once poured over the mountain edge that has long dried to a mere trickle at the best of times. But the town planned ahead and built deep cisterns beneath the rock to hold water that they use to grow the meager crops that let them survive. I am going to lean into one of the things that I like to do uh, early in a campaign and ask some open-ended questions uh, to each of you for whoever has a a good answer to this first. Uh, What about this town in particular makes you want to protect it? I like the idea that there was a water or river god when the falls were present. And everyone thinks that that god is dead, but in fact, because of the cistern system, it is merely dormant, and we think we can coax it back to activity and maybe make this part of the waste bloom again. Ooh, I like that. I will will then hand the other question to uh, Iria. Why are you always reluctant to stay here long? So the, the realm itself knows that Prismatic Cistern has water, and a lot of it and that it's like hidden deep beneath the earth. It is really only a matter of time before someone like figures out just the right approach to push people out of it and get that water and certainly not use it to irrigate this area, um, but maybe like dredge it and transport it to somewhere else uh, so that someone's, you know, illegal guardian, illegal garden of fang blossoms can thrive or something like that. I don't like to stay here long because there is the consistent anxious tension that someone is going to show back up. Prospector, uh, someone who's looking for those wells, a magistrate who's trying to figure out how to like 
I don't know, legally force people into it. People check here, not infrequently. And so it is It is a place that is on the radar, whereas most of the terrapin wastes are not. Do you take any special precautions as you travel? I'm going to say no, personally. I am young and dumb, and I have that sense of righteousness that makes me think I'm invulnerable. I'm not quite Pollyanna-ish, but uh, so far, innocent. Definitely travel in some kind of disguise if not necessarily fully changing an appearance but like we wear a hat and dark sunglasses everywhere <laughs> like <laughs> uh you know nondescript clothing it's, it's a wasteland so wearing a hood and a, a veil or a shroud or a scarf or whatever over the lower half of your face a bandana something to keep the dust out of your face i am definitely like put the hat on sweetie cover your face like come on <laughs> at the very least you don't want sand in your mouth okay <laughs> our cause is righteous and our souls are pure i understand but arrows <laughs> okay. approaching the town you kind of crest one of the rises and see the town ahead of you and pause because there are the tents and pack animals of a realm patrol outside like right outside the town what do you do from a distance is there any obvious markings that they are affiliated with a certain house or some indication that there are exalted members here there is a house Nimon banner uh, okay. which is not not surprising since they're the house that in theory oversees the uh, tarpon wastes Okay, not great news. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Whether there is an exalted here, at this distance, I'm going to call for a, a perception and awareness roll to, to look for any details. My perception is three, and my awareness is also three. Uh, and I believe literally all of my charms are involved in being made of poison. <laughs> so this is going to be a, a difficulty three roll. Okay. Um, okay. So my odds on this are 50-50, which is pretty normal. And because we're looking at an average rate of success, I am going to spend a willpower on it. Because it's important to my character to know what the level of threat we're dealing with here is. You know, for the sake of the argument, I will put a cherry. Do you imagine that Shroud and Iria are walking around on foot? Do we have borrowed horses? Do we have riding lizards? How did we get here? I think it is a case that we saw something in the distance and otherwise we were using the Cirrus skiff. Okay. And we're like, they will probably notice a cloud boat. So let's go down and do this on foot. Okay. Yeah, I think you probably land like a couple miles outside of town usually mm -hmm. and walk in because even even without the realm here, you don't want to draw that kind of attention. We've landed. The Cirrus Skiff has uh, dispersed and at this, the, the site of the banner like on the horizon as we we're coming up is like I gesture to Shroud to just like stay put and then you know scoot forward towards the nearest big rock or cactus or something that's enough to like block line of sight and crouch down behind it and like hand over the eyes shielding from the, the sun be like what is what do, what do we have going on up here so that is my attempt at a stunt yeah and i'll, I'll call that a, a two-point stunt you, you right. definitely helped set the scene here i'm gonna kind of give an aside something that as a storyteller i do is stunts get harder as time goes on often because 
it's really helpful to to do some establishing shots early in a session, early in the campaign. But doing the same thing repeatedly is going to have diminishing returns. So they, they tend to get a little harder. I will take the two dice, and that will also restore the willpower that I spent. Uh, so I'm going to roll eight dice on this, and I have two automatic successes going into it. Yeah. Which should, hopefully, put me in a good place to pass. All right, so that's one, two, three, four. I have rolled a 10 and two nines for the sake of our audience who is learning along at home. Just by the, the result of the roll, I would have passed because I have four successes. But then I got two more, one from spending willpower and one from stunting. So I am looking at six. Not only do you see the, the, the banner, here I'm going to be using some of the threshold successes to give you some extra information. And for dramatic effect, I'm going to give you that extra information first. And kind of pulling, pulling the curtain back uh, for those listening along at home. You look at the tents. Uh, this looks like it's, it's a typical patrol talon. But the big tent and the banner looks like the personal banner of one of the exalted. And the light catches it just so that you recognize nestled in the Nimon banner, the personal mon of Nimon Eanji, the younger brother of the exalt that you fought the time of your exaltation. What's a mon? It's the circle that the symbol is in. You know how each house has like their symbol that's in a little circle? It's the circle thing that the symbol is in. That's the mon. Okay. Not only is this bad news, it's extra bad news. So, Illyria, what do you see with your special eyes? Not much more special than yours, but we should go this way. And I point to like the the roundabout way into town. And you should be as subtle as you can be. I don't think I ever defined heart's blood forms. So, can I have a horse form? Sure. Okay, I'm gonna turn into a horse. Okay. Duh. And if you're just standing there staring at me, I'll turn back into a person and be like, you're supposed to get on and then turn back into a horse. Okay. <laughs> Can't ride on the snake. It's too small. Clearly you need mountainous spirit expression. Clearly. I'll eventually be a giant snake and you can ride me. <laughs> that or a death goose. Is there a way to like share charms? Like I have over easily overlooked presence method. Like, is there a spend two moats and you can bring a friend? Uh, there is not, but given the circumstances, I would, would say that, that that certainly applies here because you are now a an easily overlooked person riding a horse. Okay. Uh, that that said, however, I, I am still going to require a, uh, a stealth roll from you because while easily overlooked presence method lets you pass unnoted it Mm -hmm. does not let you pass unnoticed Mm -hmm. and the soldiers are watching the road so uh to sneak into the town um is going to require a stealth roll sure it's a commitment of four moats what does commitment here mean when you commit moats it means that they cannot be recovered until after you are done using whatever it is so monica's character has like 33 moats or something like that or 13 personal modes or whatever it is. And that goes down to nine. And even if something were to cause her character to regain modes, it can't go above what has been right, committed. Those, those okay. are spoken for right now. So the two of you are kind of operating as a as a unit. I'm going to say that only one of you needs to make a, a stealth roll. This is going to be an opposed roll uh, against the somewhat watchful soldiers. Okay. 
This also says this skill does not work against alert guards or those who intend to stop everyone. So my <laughs> manipulation or dexterity, which seem most likely here, plus stealth is either eight or nine. And then I have a specialty for among dynasts, uh, which okay. certainly seems to apply here. Yeah. I do have perfect shadow stillness. I assumed it meant I had to stay still, but it says nothing about that in the charm, which is quite pleasing. Allows the reroll of any stealth-based action preserving the tens and rerolling the remaining dice. So in this case, I'm going to actually say it's stealth plus wits, uh, mm. which is kind of an unusual choice for a stealth roll. But you were talking about like sneaking around back into the, the back of the town. So it's not so much about can you move from shadow to shadow or are you moving quietly enough? But it's a, are you clever enough to find the path that nobody's watching? Mm -hmm. I would have six. And then with perfect shadow stillness, that certainly lets you contend with the six unaugmented dice that these uh, somewhat distracted soldiers will be rolling. I'll have you both roll in this case, since you're both there. And if if, uh, one of you fails hard, the other one can lean in to save the day. Specialties in third edition add successes or dice, I don't remember. Dice. Dice. Okay. Is it just just three automatically, or one? Or... Uh, it's just one die. Just one die. Okay. Cool. All right. Nine. Nine dice. I'm just gonna roll that. Roll them bones, and we'll see if I'm feeling. I'm feeling lucky, punk. Let's go. <laughs> I'll spend a willpower because I want to be cool too. I was feeling lucky. And I'll roll for the uh, soldiers. What'd you get, Monica? How did Lyria do? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, I only got six. So that was phenomenal rolling. That would have been a challenge to the most alert soldiers. Um, however, these soldiers rolled a botch. Um, <laughs> They're like, look, we see them coming over there. And then start running. And we're like, oh, shit, we're going down. They just start running in the opposite direction. <laughs> no, so actually, as you approach the town, like a fight breaks out between two of the soldiers, like full on one of them like hauls back and punches uh, another and like another another eight of them rush around and like try to pull pull apart the uh the two combatants and uh, the the uh, commotion kind of draws everybody's attention away from you as you uh slip easily in into the town pausing for a moment you see from a, a perfect vantage point the flap of the tent open and the young dragon blooded in in what looks like full field command armor kind of strides out of the tent followed by an attendant and starts barking orders at the uh the soldiers who are in the midst of the tussle what do you want to do well they seem plenty distracted i think we should get away (laughs) i'll take going to the town for 400 (laughs) yeah yeah i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna also take going into the town for 400 (laughs) alleria was that the dragon-blooded dickhead that you fucked with? I'm a horse, so I can't answer you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so once you do trot into town, you draw looks. Uh, not many people travel the Tarpan Waste on horseback, as horse feed is, is scarce. Um, there isn't a whole lot of grass for, for horses to eat here, especially a horse without saddle and, and tack and anything, and like no obvious supply. Is just drawing a couple of odd looks. Shroud, do you do anything to dissuade the onlookers? And I guess you have easily overlooked presence method activated. Because of that, um, it's just glances and kind of pass by. 
alternatively i was going to use listener swaying argument to do the this is not the horse you're looking for <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I think your uh, easily overlooked presence method works works well enough what refuge do you usually return to in prismatic cascade i'm gonna assume and or establish that we have an inn or a saloon or some something sort of old westy that's owned by a person who is generally sympathetic to both of us who you know likely will do their best to keep heat off of us but they are you know an ordinary person so if a dragon blood wants to make a problem of it it's not going to go so well, so well for them but they are otherwise a, a loyal ally your contact here is nasin the inn owner who you have helped uh, in the past. Nothing that, that necessarily has given away the, the full extent of your powers, but enough that Nassim knows that you are not ordinary travelers, so to speak. Um, the inn doesn't have a name. It's just the inn. The town is that small. <laughs> it's just because I only got one, so there's no confusion. Uh, it's a one-horse town, and I'm the horse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I guess I'll go into this. Is there space between it and, and another building or like some shade or whatever? Or like a yeah, parking yeah. lot where the dumpster is? <laughs> I'm going to go back there uh, and shape change. Shroud just sliding off of my back like a second later. <laughs> I'll just hear in the distance this. <laughs> <laughs> so I just like fall to the ground. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine the shot with like the, the camera following you down the alley and then yeah. like you walking behind yeah. um, the, 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 the building. And, like, the camera's still straight down the alley, so we don't see what's going on. And we hear, blah! <laughs> <laughs> and, like, see Shroud fall in, in back in frame in the alleyway. Uh, and, and you know what? The, the two of you know Nassim well enough that, that you can come in through the back. Um, okay. And not need to go back around to the front. How do we spell Nassim? I'm writing everybody's um, name down in a way that I never do for anyone else. <laughs> N-A-S-E-E-N. So you come into the inn, and it is an inn that is larger than the, the town today merits. Mm-hmm. It kind of also serves as a, a meeting hall when uh, people gather to, to deal with problems. Nassim is in, uh, you've kind of set this Wild West feel, and it, it is it is kind of like uh, kind of like that with the the wood bar, dusty floor, the Wild West swinging um, saloon uh, doors. doors to the yeah. yeah the saloon doors in the front. Uh, the two of you come through through the back, and Nassim looks up. She's a, a middle-aged woman, hair tied back in a, a tight bun. Iria, uh, shroud. I'm surprised to see you here. Looks like someone's coming around again to see if your charade involving the uh, cisterns is holding up. Nassim's face falls. It seems this young dynast wants to make a name for himself. He has it in his head that we're involved in some heresy here. Something about a secret god uh, of the river. I just give her a little, like, two-finger salute when she greets me, and then I'll pull a, uh, an obel from my purse and just be like toss it across the counter for whatever the house beverage is yeah yeah is that the unit uh, of currency like do wraith and exalted use the same currency there are obols yeah. uh, paying an obol here would be a whole lot of money okay i, I don't think we needed to... yeah i was trying to think of what the smallest like coin it would be a jade script note that the, the small money's paper right okay then i then i have a small bills cash system contains two coins and two paper notes Chaz, how does money work in this game? It, it mostly follows the rules of hand wavium. Okay, got it. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was trying to describe something for the sake of looking cool. Yeah, instead I pull a billfold out of okay. the... I have like a, I think I imagine my character wearing like a, a, a leather vest can probably somewhat conceals the artifact armor that I wear all the time. And I pull a billfold out instead. The billfold is, is a like a little sterling silver, silver alloy, sterling silver's modern, whatever, a silver alloy, uh, like snake clip on the, oh, cool. the build yep, yep. and toss a, a script across the table for the house drink. The rest of the, the rest of the thing stands. I give Shroud a knowing look at the mention of, they're poking around here about heresy. There's a god under the ground. What would you know about that? Huh? <laughs> well, from one heretic <laughs> to another. <laughs> it, is Nassim well, involved in your little heresy here? I think everyone in the town's involved in our little heresy here. <laughs> I, I think you might be right. Yeah. Two bands ago, we were able to pay them off. One band ago, we were able to scare them with talks of demons. I, uh, I don't think that's going to work this time. What do you think it's going to take? It'll either, either take some clever talking or uh, a champion willing to throw down against one of the dragon-blooded. Hmm. If only we had both of those things. I came here to kick ass and argue esoteric points about the heresy of destroying the immaculate order and i'm all out of sidereal monks with which to engage in academic discourse and that seems like a, a great place to leave our, <laughs> our little intro so we we had a chance to, to roll a couple of dice pools you guys got to see some stunts some some spending of willpower and uh next time we revisit our our mini campaign we'll dive into one of the other subsystems did i exalted you, you, you did. did exalted yay <laughs> This is, this is technically not your first time exalting. No, no. This is my this, this is the first time I can talk about. It. This is the exact opposite of my last time, where it's like if you tell anyone about this, we will kill your cat. And this time it was like, hey, we're going to do it directly to audio and share it with the world. So, so this is a nice alternative. Our next one is a compass of podcasting directions. Which direction are we going in next? We are going to be continuing in in the northerly section of creation. We're going to continue around clockwise. Uh, so northeast is up next, including a whole bunch of classic exalted locations. Woo! And with that, Monica, if we would like yet more information about the little tidbits of exalted essence we're allowed to know about before it goes to what will be a record-breaking Kickstarter. Where can we do that? You can join the Exalted Discord or the Onyx Path Discord because those are the places I talk about it publicly. But if you want to follow me on Twitter where I don't actually talk about that, uh, you can follow me at Zenith Sun or sometimes tune into Bonus Experience, my podcast, where I occasionally bring it up, but I wouldn't exactly go there for reliable essence information. Um, and you can find that plus lots of discussions from me about game design and such. BXPcast.com And Chaz? How is the fall of Jara going? The fall of Jara is going strong. The fall of Jara is going strong. Uh, you can find it in the feed for the Story Told podcast, uh, where I will return to review other exalted books as they come out, um, as I am host emeritus and exalted correspondent. And if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter as at StoryToldChaz. I also lurk around on a whole bunch of discords, but don't have time for notifications. So I have them turned off um, unless you at me, in which case I will come and say hi. So feel free to at me if you want my take on something. Uh, and- don't at me at all. <laughs> in fact, if you at me in the in the fandom exalted discord, it will get you in trouble. So please don't. <laughs> well, then trust that I will see you eventually. 
Terry, where can people find you? You can hear me talk about what I recently learned is the only urban fantasy entry in the world of darkness that is made to the ascension in that it is not fundamentally a horror game apparently one of the devs said so and i'm taking that statement and running with it i am at terry robinson on twitter madesthepodcast.com to listen to that show and if you would like to hear more about things that aren't exalted and things that aren't our other hosts other podcasts if you become a executive producer which is to say a paying supporter of mage the podcast you also get free access to another other other show i do called what's your plan in which we have more wide-ranging conversation about gaming you can hear Chaz's thoughts on capital ship combat and why monica loves forge theory so much and with that exalt strong thank you for listening to systematic understanding of everything an exalted podcast go to exaltcast.com to subscribe see our show notes or listen to our past episodes. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and Anchor.fm. If you have a question, shoot us an email at questions at exaltcast.com. If you'd like to support our show, please consider using the affiliate links in our show notes to make purchases on DriveThruRPG and the storytellervault.com. The opening theme is Return of the Solar Exalted, and the closing theme is the Sidereal Exalted Lesser But Safe from Fanfare for the Chosen by James Simple and is used with permission. In the meantime, exalt strong.